defensive play by Iverson, giving up more than half a foot to Russell. Now he's got Stockton. He breaks his ankles, and he got it. And the crowd rising to their feet. And the tumble going high for the rebound. Iverson squeaking by everybody. Reverse layup. Oh, wow. What a spectacular coast to coast. And contain Murray. Murray's the one guy I think on the team that could score 30. Iverson down right there. What injured left ankle. <laughs> And the Lakers come back the other way to play some defense. Can they play it? Not as well as Philly, I can tell you that right now. Iverson putting against Ryder. Loses Ryder. Comes in deep. Follow away eight footer. Good. What a show. <laughs> the answer. <laughs> he had an answer for the Lakers defense that time. What a show by the little guy. Backdoor pass. Iverson with big shot. And it counts. Well, as I say, you know Iverson's going to make a big shot. So it's important for the Magic to find a way to make one on the other end. For the 76ers, Iverson, bothered by Lose. Iverson, yes. How about that? And it steps over to Ron Lose. Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. The Sixers by four. 40 seconds left in overtime. Here with 6.2 to go, it's Allen's turn against Newble, the rookie. Takes some heart of the cup, leads for McCullough, who slams for two. Brilliantly done by Iverson. The Shaq feeds to Grant, who doesn't like to shoot after the first quarter. Lynch picks it up. Here comes Iverson, flying inside. At 6'1", 155 pounds, how can someone so small fly so high? And I think he's only about 5'11". Quite a bit for Allen. I saw him on that left side. No Armstrong. He's fouled out. So Corey Alexander on Iverson. Here's Allen for the tie. Yes! it again. Allen for the record. Yes! Fifty-two points for Iverson. A record for a 76er in a playoff game. In a city that wears toughness like a badge of honor, 
It's a small guy with a big heart who fans have come to love as one of their own. All our customers, that's all they talk about is Iverson. When they talk Sixers, it's, it's AI and that's it. He's dedicated to winning. Whatever it takes, he'll do it. The kids come a long, long way. You know, a lot of people um, felt like I couldn't reach this point. The smallest guy in the court has played the biggest of games. People talk about my size, you know, my game. You know, I was selfish. I couldn't, you know, make it here with the guys that I'm playing with. That's a team, man. That's a team right there, baby. Woo! <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver, and today we are reviewing the NBA TV documentary that you can see for free on YouTube on the 2001 Philadelphia 76ers titled Everything But The Chip. Now, before I go into the review of the documentary, and before I play voice notes from two lifelong, not only Philadelphia 76er fans like myself, but more importantly, something I don't share with them, is these two brothers have, were born and raised and have lived in, New, in Philadelphia for over 40 years. So they will be able to give the listeners... A first-hand, a first-hand um, ob observation of what was going on in Philadelphia at the time, what the fans were thinking, what was the city going through with this 76ers mania that occurred during the 2000-2001 season, and, and um, those voice notes would be by my brothers from Philadelphia, Sugar Hill Rob, Rob Hill, the uh, second Sugar Hill, his mom was the original Sugar Hill. And Toot the Barber, the number one barber not only in Philadelphia, but throughout all of the United States. Uh, those that want a great haircut, go ahead and um, follow my brother Toot, Toot the Barber on Twitter. Um, before I talk about the documentary, before I talk about the entirety of that season and before I talk about and comment on Toot and Rob's voice notes that you'll be hearing later on in the podcast I want to talk about I want to talk about 
what was going on in my life as a lifelong Philadelphia 76ers fan living in New York and dealing with my father's passing. My father died on July 30th, 2000. My father loved Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was my father's third favorite Philadelphia 76 of all time. Number one was Dr. J. Number two was Will Chamberlain. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I have done historical overviews on both Will Chamberlain. I did his documentary that occurred a few months ago on Showtime, the three-part documentary. Did an entire podcast review on that Goliath. And I did a historical overview of Dr. J's career. Dr. J being the first basketball player I idolized. Will Chamberlain was the first basketball player my father idolized. And why he became a Philadelphia 76er fan. And then, of course, Dr. J was his second favorite because he saw Dr. J play basketball in high school. He saw Dr. J play basketball for the University of Massachusetts. And he saw Dr. J play for the New York Nets before Philadelphia bought and paid for him in 1976. I covered all that on a Dr. J uh, tribute podcast. But back to Allen Iverson. The first time my father saw Allen Iverson play was the March 1996 Big East Final. I took my father to Madison Square Garden to see the University of Connecticut led by coach Jim Calhoun and the legendary Ray Allen go up against Georgetown, the legendary coach John Thompson and Allen Iverson in a fiercely competitive battle for the Big East Championship. Took my father to see this game and my father thoroughly enjoyed the way Iverson was playing on both sides of the ball. And my father was like, you know what? Our Sixers were horrible that year and we're running away with the most lottery balls to win the lottery. And my father and I were hoping that the Sixers, who had been horrible since Charles Barkley got traded before the 1992-93 season, we were hoping that somehow, some way, the Sixers would win that lottery, would win that lottery to get the number one pick. And that night when we saw UConn break my heart, my father's heart, Georgetown's heart, and AI's heart by beating them in in a very well-played and fierce battle, and then... Georgetown would lose in the Elite Eight, and Iverson declared for the draft. Sixers won the lottery. And so the night of the draft, my father and I knew AI was going to get picked by the Sixers, and he was. And that set off what were a, uh, a, uh, what was now a new love affair of my father and I with the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the first couple years were rough. That first year, they were horrible, but the documentary talked about how AI became the first rookie ever to score five straight games of 40 points or more. He won rookie of the year. We were very, we were laughing our ass off when he uh, froze and broke Michael Jordan's ankles in that game. And then when they hired Larry Brown, my father and I jumped for joy because my father loved Larry Brown. My father used to always talk about how Larry Brown was the most underrated coach 
in the history of basketball. He talked about how Larry Brown always got the best out of any team he coached. UCLA, he took a UCLA team full of undergrads and, and overachievers to the 1980 championship game, which they lost to a very good, never mind good, great Denny Crum-led Louisville team. And then in 1988, they won the NCAA championship. It was Larry Brown's coaching and Danny Manning having one of the great NCAA tournaments of all time, leading them to the championship. Larry Brown did a hell of a job with the New Jersey Nets, but then left to go back to Kansas. Larry, The best ball Michael Ray Richardson ever played was under Larry Brown. Larry Brown got the best out of Michael Ray. But after Larry Brown left New Jersey to, to go back to college and coach Kansas, Michael Ray Richardson went back to his use of cocaine and eventually was banned from the league. Larry Brown did a hell of a job with the Clippers. The Clippers were bums for years until Larry Brown coached them and took them to the playoffs. And then Larry Brown went to Indiana. The Indiana Pacers were a struggling team ever since they came from the ABA in 76. Never did anything. They were a laughing stock of the league. Larry Brown turned them around, gave the New York Knicks hell throughout the mid-90s, and lost in the 94 Eastern Conference Final, seven games to the Knicks, and lost in the 1995 Eastern Conference Final, final seven games to the Magic. So now, my father's favorite coach, Larry Brown, is coaching the Sixers. My, fa my father's favorite college basketball player, now going to be his favorite NBA player, Allen Iverson, is playing with the 76ers. And I fell in love with AI just like my father did the night we saw him uh, at the 96 um, Big East Championship game. We couldn't wait to see what happens when these two got together. Um, but turmoil, turmoil uh, began almost immediately between Larry Brown and Allen Iverson, as we will get to when we get to the documentary. And they lost two heartbreaking playoff series to the Indiana Pacers, Larry Brown's f former team, in 1999 and 2000. And after the 2000 season, my father had gotten real sick. He could no longer speak. He had stage four throat cancer. And my father passed away July 30th, 2000. During this time, I really wasn't watching sports. You know, I'm a, I was a Met, huge Met fan back then, Saints fan, and Sixers fan. So I wasn't reading the papers because I was dealing with my father's illness and then eventually dying and getting his affairs together um, moving my mother out of her apartment into my apartment and making sure my son who was 8 years old at the time understood um, what, what was happening with his grandfather and so I really wasn't paying attention to any off season news and then right before the season started I found out and we will talk about this now when we get into the documentary, I found out that there was serious consideration of the 76ers and Detroit Pistons trading Allen Iverson. The Pistons getting Allen Iverson, and the Sixers in return would get Glenn Rice from the Lakers, Eddie Jones from the Lakers. And I'm glad that 
I was during the summer of 2000, I wasn't focused on 76 news. I wasn't reading the papers like I was normally. Because, ladies and gentlemen, in 2000, we did have the internet. The only thing I was doing on the internet was looking for game tickets, concert tickets. I wasn't going on the internet in 2000 for sports news like everybody does today. There was no such thing as social media back then. In 2000, the only thing I was using the internet for was to buy tickets off of Ticketmaster when my favorite artists were about to, to, to go on tour or, or perform at Madison Square Garden or the Meadowlands or the Nassau Coliseum. There was no Barclays Center yet. The Nets were still playing at the Meadowlands. The Prudential Center hadn't been built yet. Uh, also, I starting with the 96-97 season, I would always take my father to see the Nets play the Sixers at the Meadowlands because Nick tickets sold out and they were very expensive. But you could get great seats for a great price to the Meadowlands to see the Sixers play the Nets, especially 96-97 when both teams were god-awful. So 96, 97, 98, 99, first four years, 97, yeah, first four years of Iverson in the league took took him to see Took my father to see Iverson and Sixers play all eight times as they played twice a year in the Meadowlands. Before the 2000-2001 season, I went and got those two, two uh, in, tickets went on sale in September. A couple of months after, six weeks after my father died, I got my customary two tickets for both games. And that's when I took my son during his 2000-2001 season. He was eight years old to his first NBA games, and he instantly fell in love with Allen Iverson. Up until the day my, my son passed away, March of 2022, at the tender age of 29, the only NBA basketball player who ever idolized was Allen Iverson, and I took my son several times between 2000 and when Iverson finally got traded in 2006. Every season... I, I I would take him to see AI, and a few times AI was hurt or beefing with management where he wouldn't play, and it would be very disappointing not to see him play. Now, on to the documentary. The trade. They talked about the trade at the very top of the documentary. And, ladies and gentlemen, if that trade would have occurred, Philadelphia 76ers wouldn't have went to the finals in 2001. All right? They didn't mention... They mentioned the proposed trade, but they didn't mention who would get what. I have it right here. If the trade would have occurred, the Sixers would have got Eddie Jones, Glenn Rice, Jerome Williams, and Dale Ellis. First and foremost, Eddie Jones would have fit perfectly into that team. He, was, he had just come off, off an all-star season with the Lakers, and he had played at Temple University, and he was a fan favorite of Philadelphia basketball fans, period, because he was one of the all-time great players to ever put on a Temple University uh, jersey. He would have been, he would have taken the AI two-guard spot. Glenn Weiss was basically, as he went to the Knicks instead, a washed-up three-point shooter. He couldn't do anything else by the time the 2000 season came. Jerome Williams was Larry Brown's type of basketball player, the junkyard dog, rebounds, Tough to nature's defense. 
um, he wound up going to Toronto and playing great for Toronto. And Dale Ellis, they probably would have had to cut Dale Ellis because Dale, Dale, Dale Ellis was way past his prime. Matt Geiger and AI would have went to Detroit. I'm glad that trade didn't happen because there's no way in the world that team with that starting lineup, the starting lineup would have been Eric Snow. Let me, let's think about this. The starting lineup would have been Eric Snow, Eddie Jones, Glenn Rice, Tyrone Hill, and Theo Ratliff. That's not a championship-level team. As good as Eddie Jones was, and he had a very good career, love Eddie Jones' game. Eddie Jones, one of the smoothest players I ever saw early in his career. Loved him in Temple. Loved him with the Lakers. And they had to trade him because Kobe had already coming to his own as that next dude. But you don't replace an AI with Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones, as great as he could play, was never on the level of an Allen Iverson. Just like he wasn't on the level of a Kobe Bryant. And so I'm glad that Eddie Jones did not wind up in Philly. It would have been a disaster. And like, who mentioned it in the, uh, who mentioned it? Who mentioned it? Oh, by the way, kudos to all the commentators on this documentary. I give Stephen A. Smith flack a lot because I think he's a fucking buffoon. I think he's a step and fetch it raccoon, coon motherfucker. But in this documentary, he was phenomenal because... He was a newspaper writer in Philadelphia at the time AI played, first played with the Sixers. And then when Stephen A. Smith went to ESPN, he was one of the few members in the media that did not criticize AI. He always gave AI the opportunity to speak his mind. And so Stephen A. Smith did a phenomenal job in this documentary and he was a necessary commentator because he was there he was there um theo ratliff was tremendous and i'll talk more about theo in the second segment of this uh podcast aaron mckee always great speaker and eric snow they were all phenomenal billy king i gained more respect for billy king watching this documentary than before um i've ostracized billy king as being a 76er fan until last year. Billy King made a lot of moves that I questioned. He did a lot of bad moves when he became the Brooklyn Nets uh, head of player personnel, general manager. But one thing I did not know about Billy King was how much Larry Brown and Allen Iverson respected him and allowed him to intervene and be a counselor, basically a marriage counselor, for whenever they had fights. And the first part of the documentary talked about the internal beefs between AI and Larry Brown. Larry Brown wanted AI traded. AI almost got traded, but the reason he didn't get traded was because Matt Geiger didn't want to go to Detroit, and Matt Geiger had a no-trade clause in his contract. Imagine that! Imagine a rope, Matt Geiger, who was never a great basketball player, had a no-trade clause in his contract, but AI didn't. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, 
The trade didn't go through, and I know AI would have set Detroit on fire in 2000, 2001. Um, imagine AI playing alongside Ben Wallace. Well, then again, that had been the second. It had been the second time a team. Uh, it will. It will be the first of two times a team got Chauncey Billups instead of AI, and probably for the betterment. Detroit wound up getting. Chauncey Billups instead of AI, and they wound up winning a championship in 2004. And then years later, they would trade Chauncey Billups for Allen Iverson, and Allen Iverson was way past his prime, and Chauncey Billups elevated Carmelo Anthony's game, and they went on to the Western Conference Finals, losing to the Lakers. So, um, things come full circle. We always talk about this on the podcast, and talk about the ironies of ironies when it comes to Chauncey Billups and um, Allen Iverson. By the way, Chauncey Billups belongs in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. One of the most underrated point guards in the history of the game. One of the great leaders in the game. And the 2004 Detroit Pistons do not win the NBA championship if it wasn't for the clutch shooting and leadership provided by Chauncey. Okay. Back to the documentary. So they get off. They talk about the great start. And um, Stephen A. Smith mentioned that AI had a chip on his shoulder and wanted to prove to Larry Brown, Billy King, and Pat Croce, Pat Croce being the CEO of the 76ers, that they were making a big, they were making a big mistake trying to trade him. And they, AI got off to a phenomenal start. We all know about his season that year, his MVP winning season. And things looked rosy until a game against the Dallas Mavericks. They didn't give you the date. The date was December 15th against Dallas Mavericks in Philadelphia in which the Sixers got blown out their own building by the Mavericks and Larry Brown exploded at the whole team. And then him and AI got into it again. And then the next day at practice, Pat Croce and Billy King had a summit with AI and Larry Brown. And Pat Croce was phenomenal in his uh, recollection of the meeting. He served as a moderator and he told AI, how do you think Larry Brown feels Every time he takes you out of the game and you curse him out, what if you were in his shoes? And then he went to Larry Brown and said, Larry, Allen told me that whenever you yelled at him, it reminded him of when he was in prison, unjustly, by the way, how the correction officers would call him motherfucker. And I'm sure they call him the N-word, but Pat Croce, being a liberal uh, white dude, wasn't going to use the N-word. And so they came to understanding that day as a doctor, documentary mentioned, and I remember from the newspaper reports and ESPN talking about this situation and inside the NBA uh, with and Charles Barkley. And Charles Barkley mentioned, and they showed that clip, how the, the, the media in Philadelphia is evil. Look, I've lived in New York, I'm 55 years old. Philadelphia is probably the only other city in the United States that come close to New York with the devils that write in the newspapers 
and on tele- and report on television when it comes to the world of sports, especially when it relates to a black athlete. Uh, so a little while after that, I remember Larry Brown taking a few days off to get his head together and was it Billy King? Yes, Billy King mentioned something that I never knew and I never thought of. He said that from that moment on, Larry Brown felt that he lost total control of the team because now you have a player on the same level as him when it comes to decision making. And it harkened back it harkens me back to and they showed this on Winning Time recently. When I was a kid, when I was 14 years old, 1982, and Magic Johnson told Dr. Jerry Buss, either you trade me or you fire Paul Westhead. And of course, Dr. Jerry Buss fired Paul Westhead. 99 times out of 100, if you have a generational ball player, the generational ball player is favored by management, is favored by the owner. In 1988, Michael Jordan went to management. No, 1989. Michael Jordan went to management. Chicago Bulls management. The two Jerry's, Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause, and said, it's either me or Doug Collins. And Doug Collins got fired, and they hired Phil Jackson to take over the uh, Chicago Bulls. In the Lakers case, it was Pat Riley. So Pat Riley and Phil Jackson... Many consider the two greatest coaches in the history of the basketball. I don't, but many do. Both got their starts because they had a great relationship with the star player of that team. The same thing with Jeff Van Gundy in 1996. Patrick Ewing went to management, Knicks management, and said, I don't want Don Nelson coaching his team anymore. They fired Don Nelson, and that's how Jeff Van Gundy got his job. Well... Larry Brown was such a great coach that I don't think they were going to side with AI, even though he's a generational player. But Pat Croce and Billy King saw the success that the Sixers were having up until that point and didn't want to blow up a good thing. There was this, this was their shot at possibly winning a championship, and they didn't want to blow it. So they had that summit, but Larry Brown felt he lost control because now a player was on the same level as him and I will end this first segment and I want you guys to think um, should a player have as much if not more power than the head coach in the NBA it's a player's league Um, Magic had more power than Paul Westhead but eventually Pat Riley had more power than both Magic and Kareem, even though Pat Riley was fired the year before Magic was forced to retire. Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson were always on the same page, so there was never any, well, who's going to supersede whoever. If you guys remember, after the 2004 season, Phil Jackson quit as Lakers coach despite the fact that he was in bed, engaged with the owner's daughter, Because Kobe Bryant got his way. Shaq was traded, and so Phil quit. He knew Kobe had more power than him, even though eventually Phil came back. Probably because, you know, his woman was like, you got to come back, baby. We we can't do without you. (laughs) 
Larry Brown would eventually leave the 76ers after the 2003 season. Okay, we're going to play some highlights from the 2001 All-Star Game. The game that I felt was the greatest All-Star Game in history of the, uh, of the NBA. Um, I will come back, talk about part two of the documentary, which includes the second part of the documentary. I'm splitting this into three parts. 20, second part of, of this uh, documentary. I will talk about that All-Star Game and also what was going on and comment on what the documentary was talking about. After I play the highlights of the All-Star Game, we're going to hear from my man Rob from Philly talk about that season. And then I will come back and talk about part two of this documentary, 2001 Philadelphia 76ers, everything but the chip. In an all-star game at his hometown of that season-ending ankle surgery has put him on the sidelines. The officials, Dan Crawford working his second all-star game. Ed F. Rush, Don Vaden working in their first. Doug, the East overall has the edge 31-18. to Last season in Oakland, West beat the East 137-126. The East had won the previous three games. Bryant. Rejected by McGrady. And here comes Iverson in the open floor. Iverson, nice feed. Oh, it's rejected. He tried to set up McGrady, but Duncan stripped him. Brown rooting so hard for Iverson to get going. Kid, oh, beautifully done by Jason Kidd. Right behind, right behind, right behind. I couldn't get it up. Man, I'm getting old, man. I would have got that more. Huh? I would have got that. I would have got that a couple years ago. Play out of character. If a, if a good play is there, try to make it. But see, there's a the nice little bounce pass. Not an alley oop. Not in traffic. Time. Washington bullet. Chris Webber puts it up for Kevin Garnett. Simple play. Get the ball to Chris Webber in the middle. Let him throw a little alley oop to Kevin Garnett. Iverson with the open shot and put home by Carter with Washington. To Washington, where he's had some of his best, some of his worst days. I'm sure it's sort of a, a bittersweet moment as we see Iverson with a fadeaway. Bryant for Kidd, intercepted by Iverson. Three on two, Iverson to the reverse. <laughs> Little pass to himself in the air. Allen Iverson thrilling the home crowd here as he went to Georgetown. Another steal. Game getting very sloppy. Weber steals it back, and then the pit block by Davis. Little play by player, Marv. Things are going nice so fast. And then Kobe Bryant able to drill it. The greatness of the NBA game is in the open court, and this is what people love to see the spectacular athletes, their ability to get in that lane, hang in the air. You see the self pass, the ball off the glass. He was the co MVP last season. Iverson. Allen Iverson. Well, we've seen two spectacular plays by Allen Iverson already playing off the ball. Look at the, the shot. Actually, his body is behind the backboard. He takes it over to his right hand. And here's Weber. Chris Weber with the reverse. Just playing volleyball on the backboard before Weber got one to go. How about this matchup? 
Uh, Chris Webber defending on Adam Houston. Finley on the cut. Great passing. Stephon Marbury, who is so excited to be here, his first ever NBA All-Star game, and is able to hit, looking for the mismatches in his favor by going with the three-guard setup and Ray Allen. Allen, for an NBA player, this looks like it must be the ultimate playground experience, especially the way you're playing so far. It is. I mean, it's time to come out here and have fun. I didn't get a chance to throw Vince a lob yet, and I've been telling my... I've been telling my son I was going to throw a lob and, and let him see it, you know, at home. But I ain't have a chance to get to do it yet. Well, we've got, we've got three quarters to go. You know, the way you're playing, I've I got to think that maybe you're thinking about the uh, MVP here tonight. No, I'm not thinking about no MVP <laughs> because anybody to get MVP, I'm going to have it anyway just by being involved in the event. So I'm not thinking about that. I'm trying to get a win, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Let's go to Jim Gray. All right. Thank you very much, Lewis. How about that move by Allen Iverson, Chris? Yeah, yeah, he stole that from Isaiah. That's an Isaiah Thomas uh, 1987 move. And dot com. Ray Allen on a pull-up. And Ray Allen has had the touch. That's a nice move. Been a nice couple of days for Ray. Michael Finley puts it down. Allen Houston. Ray Allen for three. Bobbery puts it up for Allen. There's another guy who this summer in the Olympics was sinking. Allen off the break, whipping by Wallace. Ray Allen has given his team a huge lift. Rasheed Wallace. Rasheed Wallace, who has become the go-to guy. Week, so it's a tough break for Philly once again, dealing with injuries as Vince Carter with his highlight film that helped his game. But Vince Carter gets baseline, and big guys don't get over there soon enough. Kobe said, where is my help? And they go, we're not helping you on this. And his partner, Shaq, who normally guards the basket, you watch his reaction, he throws Gary Payton back, and he says, whoa, that's nasty. Penny has 16. Nice pass from Bryant. Oh, Chris Webber does the rest. Seven-game slump. He's worked his way out of it. Oh, Latrell Sprewell. Garnett and Duncan, and then delivers. Carter with the windmill. Jumpers knees feeling better. Look at Shaq. 48, the East with it. Three. A minute left in the half. Garnett served up by Weber. This is what people want to see. The great pass from Anthony Mason. Jason Kidd said, uh-uh, I'm not getting near this. Vince Carter makes it look so easy. Broken up by Davis, recovered by Weber, went behind the back, kid lays it home for Duncan. A spectacular pass play by the West. Final seconds of the half, Carter's pass stolen. Here's Kidd from center court. Yes! Jason Kidd at the buzzer to end the first half. What a sensational run by the West. Three-point shot. But Jason Kidd, back-to-back threes, the great passing, and once again, they lead by 11. The NBA All-Star game played in Washington, D.C. It's the play to Baltimore, 91. This West team, incidentally, lost to the East by two points. How about the T-Wolves? Well, 11 straight wins. Boy, Flip Saunders, you've got to talk about him as possible coach of the year. Terrell Brandon, the job he's done as Glenn Robinson makes a little baseline jumper. Kidd. Oh, Weber from Garnett. Come back better. I think you're going to expect this guy, Kofi, to be better. Oh. Oh. And with all that's been going on out there in the West. Now, Sprewell defending on Weber. 
Weber beats him off the dribble, but the tumble is there to rescue. Here comes Freewell. Iverson. Allen Iverson taking it to the basket. To Jason Kidd and his wife, and I've watched the way they've handled the situation, and, and he stepped forward, and he says, look, I was wrong. I embarrassed myself, my family, my team. Garnett for Bryant. <laughs> now remember, about two minutes ago, Kobe gave one up to the backboard to Garnett. It's like, back at you. Damn, you know what? You know what? I had a bet. I had a bet with my cousin how many times he's gonna hit the floor tonight. That was only one. That's, that's the only, first time. That's it. I got three. I got three. And this is without Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, McDice stopped from behind. Ray Allen with the block, but Dice couldn't believe it. It's again the great passing. McDice thinks he's got a dunk, and his old Olympic teammate Ray Allen says, uh-uh. Well, here's another look at that uh, most unique maneuver by Stefan Marber. I don't know if he actually made contact with the uh, Divots. Oh! <laughs> All right, we'll be back after these words. Disease to help them who can't afford the medications. At the same time to educate doctors and to try to find a cure for the disease. Any chance you think you'll get back on the court next year? From all of us at NBC, we wish you a speedy recovery and good luck with everything. Somebody says, Coach, he said, you don't have to play me anymore the rest of the day. Let these younger guys play. They play each other their first game out. So Here's Kidd. And uh, make it rebound number 20. The last player with 20 rebounds in an All-Star game. Charles Barkley with 21 in 1991. It's only a seven-point game with four and a half to go. Iverson, does he get the continuation? Yes, he does. It counts. And the foul. And it's down to a five-point West lead. I, I love this, the fact that it got down to this point in the game, five minutes to go. The game is in the balance. You're going to see the competitive nature of every one of these players now surface. Allen Iverson with the great drive to finish the opportunity now for a three-point play, which he gets. It's now a four. The tumble, 21 rebounds. Iverson to the line with the West over the foul limit. The all-time All-Star game record most rebounds in a single game held by Bob Pettit. Here comes Iverson. Kid is back. Iverson. Rebound McGrady. And the game is tied at 100. Garnett, yes, the West by two. Being played by Carter. Iverson for three. Allen Iverson. Kid is on it, though. Here's Weber. Yes. How four possessions. What happened? Iverson with the steal, but he stepped out of bounds. <laughs> Allen Iverson with 13 of his 23 points in the fourth quarter. You can see why Larry Brown loves this guy. Watch him. Comes from nowhere. Tries to tightrope along that sideline. And Marvin, you said it so perfectly a while ago as he steps out of bounds. The other night in the... Iverson on the run. Iverson gets it off. Draws the foul. Foul called on Bryant. That is his third. The West already over the limit. Three team fouls on the east well the east has heard all year long the west is better the west is deeper the west has got all the big players you know what right now it's a tie game iverson has a chance to put his team in the lead so this is a big game for them they want to show don't discount the eastern conference iverson 82 percent free throw shooter bryant 
Being chased. Bryant able to hit. Easy shot. Bryant. Yes. Kobe Bryant with two clutch buckets. He now has 17. The West leads by three. Marbury for three. Yes. And he's tied the game at 108. is just leaving him wide open. Bryant. Oh, that is unbelievable. Matumbo ran out at him. Three unbelievable shots in a row here by Kobe Bryant. A stirring finish to this 50th NBA All-Star game. The West by two. Marbury for three. Again! A sensational shooting. Clutch shooting. Kobe Bryant with the outside jump shot. Marbury comes back and one-ups him with the three. This once again ties the game. And Kobe again with another answer. This time, Matumbo comes flying at him, gets a hand up. He really can't even see the basket, and again knocks it down. And Marbury comes back, spectacular shooting. Stefan Marbury steps back behind the three, buries another one. That each by one, 10.9 seconds remaining. Well, still 10 to 9, 10 seconds remaining in this fourth quarter, but here are the results of the NBA.com polling for most valuable player. We were talking about guys from the West earlier, but the East turning it around, coming back from a 21-point deficit. So Allen Iverson leading the way. How about Stefan Marbury with the clutch shooting down the stretch, along with, with Kobe Bryant? The East up by one. Out of five. Marbury guarding Bryant. Out of three. Marbury trying to get to Bryant. Duncan came up short, and it's it's over. The East comes from 21 down to defeat the West. They outscore the West 41-21 in the fourth quarter. Mark, that's one of the best All-Star games I've ever seen. Just the big plays, getting back in the game, and you know what? Probably not going to get the MVP, but he gave his team a chance to win and for Marbury and Iverson to shine at the end of that game and give them a chance to win this basketball game. Look at look who changed the shot, Matumbo, and then here's Vince Carter on the rotation coming over, getting a piece of Duncan's shot. It is now time to present this game's MVP and to make that presentation. Here's the commissioner, David Stern. Allen, <coughs> you showed... You showed tonight, along with a spectacular cast of the world's greatest ball players, why NBA action is so fantastic. It shows why we know that great play can be wrapped, you'll pardon the expression, in very small packages. Congratulations, the MVP of the 2001 All-Star Game. players here tonight and you are the star of stars that's got to feel extra special especially being home it's definitely special um where my coach where my coach coach brown is he around this this is you know this is a tribute to coach brown my teammates my family my friends um all the fans that been loving me from day one you know, just is a tribute to them. I cherish this for the rest of my life. I'm out here playing with the greatest players in the world. I'm at my second home, my home away from home. Coach Thompson, I love you. Ma, I love you. 
T.R. Tawana, my kids, I love you. All right, congratulations, man, on a great performance. All right, thanks. All right, let's go back tomorrow. All right, thank you, Ahmad. A magnificent homecoming. He's from Hampton, Virginia. Allen Iverson leading that 37-15 run by the East to run it out. Years old from Philly, you know what I'm saying? What's up, OJ? You know what I'm saying? Doing this on the 2001 Sixers, man. One of my favorite teams, man. You know, what was the documentary about? Um, everything but the chip. You know, and we got coach of the year, six man, you know, AI won MVP that year. Um, man, that was a lit year for us, man. Matumbo had the defensive player of the year. Um, like I said, it was everything but the chip, you know what I'm saying? Um, we started out hot that year, yo. I think we was like 10 and 1, you know what I mean? 10 and 0, something like that, man. You know, so they grabbed the city attention from the gate. You know what I'm saying? Um, everybody was all in on the Sixers. You know, I think, you know, um, we was like 44 and 10. I think maybe at the All-Star break, something like that, man. You, you know, and, and somewhere around then, Theo Ratliff, you know, he suffered that, that, that hand injury, man. And, you know, um, ultimately, they made the decision to swap Theo and Tony Kukoc from Matumbo and... Um, McLeod, McLeod, Rodney McLeod, McLeod, something like that, man. Youngin was a throw-in, you know what I'm saying? Um, and that kind of changed the dynamics of that team, you, you know, because that team had a good chemistry with Ratliff in there and Ku Coach, you know what I'm saying, being our bar handlers, second scorer, you know, because nobody on that team could score like Tony Ku Coach, man. You know, that's the part of the 2001 Sixers that, you know, kind of getting for, forgotten a little bit because – you know, if you fast forward, you know what I'm saying, like a last dance style right here. Um, you, you know, Ratliff against Shaq, man, that, that I, you know, you're talking about two of the greatest NBA players, maybe top 20 of all time in their primes, Kobe and Shaq. Shaq was relentless then. Theo was a great shot blocker, but he was, he was, he was a slim, you, you know, um, muscular guy and Shaq was a be be behemoth back then, man. So, <laughs> you know, we could slide back now, you know what I'm saying, and get back to the trade, you know, that they made for Matumbo. And Matumbo came in here, man, and, you know, he struggled. He, you know, honestly, the team struggled, man. He, you know, it took, it, took, it took a good 20, 25 games for them to get back into the groove, you know, that the beginning of the season, you know, started. And um, once they found that groove, man, um, like I said, the city was already on them, you know, from the hot start and the, and the midway point, you know, when they jumped out to that um, that 44 and 10 or whatever that 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 um, uh, all star break record was, man, um, we was already behind them, man. So, you, you know, um, you go to the playoffs now, man, you know, and we fought our nemesis. You know, Indiana and finally getting over the top, you know what I'm saying, beating Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson and Rick Smith and them guys, man. You, you know, that was an accomplishment for us, man, because a couple years before that, man, you know, they were always knock us out, man. You, you know, Reggie and them, Mark Jackson just were back AI down, you know, and they found a way to beat us, man. So that was definitely... You, you, you know, we was like, oh, we finally here. You know what I'm saying? We got our team. We, we got over the hump, man. 
and then it was Vince. Yeah, you know I mean, in Toronto and and McGrady and 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 I think it was the Davis brother. Yeah, you know I'm saying, um, them boys was balling, man. That series was was that was popcorn. Much much must see basketball, man. Seven games of just guys AI and Vince Carter just putting on performances, man. Them boys, man, back and forth, man. They they just did their thing, man. You know, that went down to seven games, man. And to this day, I still see Vince Carter and don't know, even though we know he didn't make the shot, it still looks good, man, when they left his hands, man. Um, next up was the Bucks. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, that was another thrilling series, man. We won that one, man. You, you know, going against Big Dog and Sam Cassell. And Ray Allen, man, they, they, man, that, that three-headed monster, man, they came at you relentlessly, man. Um, found a way to pull that series out, you, you know. Um, next up was L.A., you know, Shaq and Kobe, them them cats, I think they was 13, 14 and 1 going into that championship series. Um, you, you know, something like, you know, they, they only had one defeat, man. You know, they was almost like the, the, the four, five, four sixes, you know, back in, back in the 83 playoffs, man, them cats, they just demolished who was in front of them, man. And, um, that game one, you, you know, that was the infamous Iverson, you know, step over Tyrone Lujan. Um, you know, that was our, that was our pinnacle, man, because, um, you, you know, I, I remember watching that game at, at a bar in, in, in Philly, man, and it, it, it had everything you wanted in the basketball game, back and forth. It, it was like a, a, a fight, man. You, you know, it, it was a slugfest. It, you know, the Sixers outlasted them in overtime, got the win, man. You know, it's funny. I came, you know, the bar, they locked the bar down for like the last, because it was like 11-something, they closed. He locked the bar, yo. We was in there watching the game through the overtime. Free drinks when they won, yo. City was hype, yo. I came out that joint and the city was lit, yo. I'm like, yo, I took a cab, you know what I'm saying? I was downtown working. I was at the top shelf down 15th and Arch. Two top shelves, 15th and Arch. Matter of fact, it was three. I think it was one of 63rd Street back in the day. But 15th and Arch, 56th and Market. That's the top shelves. Took a cab, man. You know what I'm saying? I was living at 57 for market, coming from Center City at this point, yo. City is just off the hook, man. I, I couldn't even get the cab. I got out the cab at 50 in market because traffic was ridiculous, man. People hanging out their cars, guys just out there high-fiving, you know, hype on the Sixers, man. I swear, man, if, if they could have pulled off three more wins, you know, I don't know how this city would have been. This might have been that 86 Mets parade. You, you know, this might have been one for the ages because um, the city was lit in 2001. Um, ultimately lost to the better team, the Lakers, Kobe and Shaq and they primes, uh, Rick Fox, uh, Big Shot Bob, you know, um, ultimately the better team. Um, but that year left me with, man, so many memories and um, I'm one of them guys that believe, man, just because you don't win a championship doesn't mean you discount the memories, man, and the journey. You, you know, um, that team came out of nowhere, and that team, you, you know, provided everything I just said, memories, you know, on that journey, man, that you just can't take back, man. Babies was made, you know what I'm saying? Um, bets were won, 
you know, um, drinks were drunk and weed was smoked. You know what I'm saying? So, um, the 2001 Sixers, one of my favorite teams in all sports, even though they didn't win it. Um, thanks for the memories. You know what I'm saying? OJ, you know what I'm saying? One love. I want to thank once again my man from Philly, Rob, for always contributing whenever I ask him to. And this, I know, is special for him because this was one of the greatest years of his life as a Philadelphia sports fan. Um, probably right up there with the Eagles winning the championship a few years a few years back. Man, um, great memories. Thank you again, Rob. Um, later on, we're going to hear from me and Rob's mutual friend, Toot the Barber, and he will give his insight into that season, that incredible season. And I'm going to say it again. In my lifetime, you know, I stopped following sports. It will be a year in a couple of weeks. October of 2022, I stopped following individual teams. It was the... I was in the hospital. My my mother was recovering from all types of all types of things. Um, matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, I'm recording this on the one year anniversary of her going into a coma, and then 48 hours later, coming out of it miraculously, she had suffered a how do you say it? Sort of like a brain stroke in the middle of the night while she was at Mount Sinai Hospital. Originally, second week of September I uh, of last year, I brought my mother to the hospital because she was coughing and she had no appetite. I thought she had COVID. Found out her kidneys had failed and had I waited another day, she would have died. They got her kidneys back to functioning well and they were going to put her in a rehabilitation nursing home until she was able to come back because she had been hospitalized for a week or two and her arthritis had gotten real bad. She could barely walk. Well, the day before we were to take her into a rehab nursing home, she suffered some type of brain aneurysm, a stroke to the brain. And I got a call at 8.30 in the morning from my sister. She was screaming. I went to the hospital and she was lying in a coma. And I just sat there from 10 a.m. until visiting hours ended at 6. Just saying, this is, this, 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 this is it. This is it. This is it. I did a podcast that night with my buddy from Detroit, Cheyenne. And that kept my mind off of what, what was happening at the hospital. We were told by the doctors to expect the worst. The next day, I come to the to the hospital, and miraculously, they had they were uh, trying to pick her up to redress her. She her eyes were open. Then when my brother showed up that day, and I said, "Hey, look, hey, mom, who's that?" and she goes, "Charlie, it's Charlie." And little by little, my mother regained her strength. And a year later, it's been a year now. It's just amazing how she's no longer in danger. Oh man, um, God bless. Um, but it was a few weeks after she recovered from a coma. I was sitting in her hospital room 
watching the Saints play in London. I think it was the Vikings. I don't know. I know they lost on the last second field goal. And it was around the same time the Mets lost in the first round of the playoffs to the uh, San Diego Padres. And the NBA season was about to begin. And you had the whole uh, controversy with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I said, man, forget this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Things are more important in life. I had just started a new relationship with my now girlfriend. It's going, to, it's going to be a year in a couple of weeks. My mother miraculously recovered from what could have been the end of her life. I said, you know, there's more important things to do than to, watch, to, to, to uh, follow a team and to throw your whole heart and desire to a team. So I made the conscious effort to no longer follow the Saints, the Mets, and the Sixers. And you know what? That stress, that no longer bothers me. I could watch a game. I could watch a basketball game. I could watch a football game. I could watch a baseball game and enjoy it without having the added stress on top of it. I don't miss those days. But I do love reminiscing on special moments in my life rooting for a team with the Saints it was a 2009 season and culminating in the 2010 Super Bowl win over the Indianapolis Colts with the Mets it was the 86 team of course um, and with the Philadelphia 76ers the 83 team I was 15 years old when the Sixers swept the Lakers and I was 33 years old when they would face the Lakers again in 2001 We'll save that for the final segment because the final segment will be mostly about that finals. I played highlights before Rob's voice note of the All-Star Game, the 2001 All-Star Game held in Washington, D.C. And in my opinion, and to this day, I still believe this, even though I haven't watched, I'll be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, since AI retired, I haven't watched an NBA All-Star Game. And I see that it's become a freak show. I mean, you know, no defense. Well, in 2001, they played defense and miraculously, the East came from behind. I think they were down 22 points in the fourth quarter and on the strength of two men, three men, three men, my bad, three men, right? I know Vince Carter was on the court, but he barely did anything. The three men that brought the Sixers, I mean the Sixers, the East back to win an incredible, in an incredible comeback at the 2001 NBA All-Star Game was Stephon Marbury, Dikembe Mutombo, and Allen Iverson. Mutombo was blocking shots. He was getting all the rebounds. He had 22 rebounds in, in, in that um, All-Star Game. AI and Steph Marbury were scoring bucket after bucket, destroying the, uh, the 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 West guards of Jason Kidd and Kobe Bryant. They couldn't stop Steph and AI. And the East came from behind. I believe the final score was 111-110. AI got the All-Star MVP. And what was the first thing he said as they showed a documentary? Where my coach at? Where my coach at? He wanted to celebrate with Larry Brown. Then came a trade that 
I hate it. I hated this trade. We I talked about the great uh the great commentary done by the players from that team, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, and Theo Ratliff throughout this documentary. Theo Ratliff was phenomenal in the 2000-2001 season up until the All-Star break when he broke his wrist. Broke his wrist in a game against Dallas. It's crazy how they played Dallas twice that year in both games. Talk about irony. Talk about things coming full circles. Circle. Both games played a huge impact on the Sixers season that year. The first game, you almost had the divorce between Larry Brown and Allen Iverson. Larry Brown explodes after they got blown out by uh, Dallas. The second time they played Dallas, Theo Radliff breaks his wrist. People do not talk enough about the contribution Theo Ratliff made the first 50 games of that season. He was leading the NBA in blocks per game, 3.7. Nobody blocks 3.7 shots per game anymore. He would have been the defensive player of the year had he not got hurt. He was grabbing rebounds. He was guarding the NBA centers, all the big-time NBA centers back then. And in 2000, Patrick was still with the Knicks. Oh, 2001, my bad. Patrick was shot. Marcus Camby was the center for the Knicks. You had Marcus Camby. You had, of course, Shaq. Theo Ratliff would guard uh, Tim Duncan, even though Tim Duncan was a power forward. Tim, Tunk, Tim Duncan would be in the center position a lot, or David Robinson. And so he's guarding either David Robinson or Tim Duncan. Theo Ratliff is guarding the best big man in an era where you had great big men like Kevin Garnett, like Tim Duncan, like Shaq, like David Robinson. Night in, night out. And he was averaging almost four blocks a game. He was having a spectacular defensive year. It was the best defensive play by a center I had seen as a Sixers fan since, for the Sixers, since Moses Malone when the Sixers won in 1983. Now, he wasn't the offensive player Moses Malone was. And he wasn't the rebounder Moses Malone was. But he was blocking shots. He was perfect in that system because an AI who led the league in steals that year, look at this team. AI led the league in steals, and Theo Ratler was leading the league in blocks up to the time he broke his wrist. AI could play off his guard or off the man he's guarding and go for the steal because if the guy gets past him, Theo is going to make up for that mistake by swatting the ball away. I know and I understand that Billy King explained why they made the trade. Billy King didn't want to make the trade, but Larry Brown convinced him to make the trade. And Larry Brown f definitely fell in love with Matumbo at that All-Star game. Matumbo and AI played great off each other because AI was doing the scoring and Matumbo was grabbing the rebounds and blocking the shots. And they weren't going to have deal for the rest of the season. And you can't rely on Matt Geiger and Nazir Muhammad to give you any type of defense that Theo Ratliff was giving you. No. No. But there's something else that... And you know what? One flaw that the documentary had that I'm, I'm upset that they didn't mention. This trade was huge. Not only did they lose Theo Ratliff. Now, they got Matumbo. Okay. Matumbo is going to give you great rebounding. Matumbo led the league that year in rebounding. 
and Matumbo was second in block shots to Theo Ratliff. Matumbo won the defensive play of the year. Ratliff would have been had he not got hurt and missed the last 32 games of the season. But there was a key player involved in that trade that the documentary didn't mention. This man was great. Now, I hated this guy when he was with the Bulls. But if you look at the contribution that Tony Kukoc made for the Philadelphia Sixers up until he got traded with Theo Ratliff to Atlanta, Tony Kukoc was shooting almost 45% from three-point line. From the three-point line. AI would would constantly kick it out to him when he was double the triple team, which the, team, which the opposing teams did all the time. Now, I know you're going to say, well, Kukoc averaged less than 10 points a game. When Kukoc was on the court, you could spread the floor, and he was hitting his threes. He was shooting 45% from three points. When they traded Kukoc... And Ratliff to Atlanta. Okay, they got they they, they got Matumbo and let you let, let's say Matumbo and Ratliff cancel each other out. You never replace Kukoc and his three point shooting, which hurt Philly in the playoffs, especially in the finals. Okay, now we go on to the playoffs. The documentary talks about how. Indiana was a thorn in Philly's side. I know, I remember, and Rob and Toot and all the Philly fans out there remember how in 1999 and 2000, Indiana broke our hearts by beating Philly. I remember in 2000, if I'm not mistaken, the Pacers went up three games to none, and then Philly won games, Philly won game four and five, and game six was in Philly, and I swore they were going to win game six and force a game seven. And, of course, Reggie Miller and the crew broke their hearts. Game one of the 2001 first-round playoffs, Reggie Miller broke their hearts. Man, they blew an 18-point lead. I remember that day. I couldn't sleep that night. I, I, I thought it was over. I was like, man, you got the MVP. You got, you've got soon-to-be coach of the year. You know that Aaron McKee's going to win the six-man of the year. And either Theo Ratliff or Motumbo is going to win defensive play of the year. You got all these awards and nothing to show for it. But they came back game two. Larry Brown, as the documentary shows, made adjustments. And if you remember the series, ladies and gentlemen, they made sure that Reggie Miller wasn't going to beat them. In game four, it was Jalen Rose that tried to win the game with a three-point shot as they kept Reggie away from the ball. Larry Brown was the first coach that, with Indiana, that decided to go with Reggie as the man instead of Chuck Person and turn Reggie Miller's career around. People don't talk about this. Before Larry Brown became the Indiana Pacers coach, it was Chuck Person who was the man on that team. Larry Brown took over and it was like, no, Chuck Person is a very selfish, me, me first player. Reggie Miller's more of a team player and Reggie Miller's a better shooter. And Larry Brown centered the team around Reggie Miller and Indiana went on to have a great run, making a finals, making several conference finals. And Reggie Miller went on to have a Hall of Fame career. And the key, in my opinion, was Larry Brown. Okay, so they beat Indiana in four 
four games, and then you had one of the greatest NBA playoff series I've ever seen in my lifetime. And as a former Sixers fan, this reminded me of the matchups, and some of you guys are too young to remember this, but in 1981, Eastern Conference Semifinals, the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Milwaukee Bucks, you had an epic back and forth between Marcus Johnson of the Milwaukee Bucks and my first basketball idol, Dr. J. Julius Irving. They went back and forth. Philly squeaks out a Game 7 win. And then you had the battles between Philly and Boston in 1980, 1981, and 1982. Dr. J versus Larry Bird. Epic, epic, epic battles. In, 19, in 2001, you had the epic battle between Vince Carter and Allen Iverson. And both men put on a clinic. It was back and forth. And I love how the documentary... Showed and I wish they would have interviewed Vince Carter for this. That that's something that's a negative from this documentary. I would have loved to hear Vince Carter's take. He wasn't interviewed. He wasn't a commentator on this documentary, because Vince and AI put on a clinic going back and forth. They even they even were on the cover of Sports Illustrated when Sports Illustrated was still the magnus opus of sports reporting. They were on the cover. During this epic battle. One game AI scored 52. Another game Vince scored 50. Another game AI scored 54. 48 points. And then finally in game 7. The Sixers hold on and win by one point. Vince Carter misses the shot. And Aaron McKee brilliantly talks about how him and Tyrone Hill talked about the the, the, the switch. If, when the pick happens, how they're going to switch And Tyrone Hill was going to guard him Aaron McKee said, alright, but make sure you don't follow him Tyrone Hill did a great job He jumped up in the air Kind of like distracted Vince Carter Vince Carter's shot was off And the Sixers hold on I remember when Vince Carter got that ball in the air Man, I watched in horror Because I'm like, I'm a Sixer fan they, they, They're getting their heart broken The ball bounced off And then we remember I believe 2018 when Kyrie Leonard hit that shot in game seven to break the Sixers' heart as Toronto then went on to win the championship. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> and I do, the documentary touched on this, and I'm glad they did. The media got on Vince Carter for attending his graduation that afternoon and then getting on the plane to go to Philadelphia. He went to North Carolina, a Chapel Hill, to uh, receive his college degree. And you know what? I don't blame the man. The man loved his mother. The man promised his mother that he would graduate, even though he left college early, that he was going to go back to North Carolina and get his degree. He attended that graduation ceremony for his mother and I'm glad Vince never apologized for that. Oh, if he if if he would have went to the college graduation, maybe they would have won. Maybe he would have made that shot. I mean, get that bullshit the fuck out of here. All right, so now we are going to play highlights of game one of the NBA finals between 
Iverson and the Lakers. Then we're going to get a, to listen to my man from Philly, Toot the Barber, talk about the Sixers in that season. And then I'm going to come back and talk about the final 20 minutes of the documentary. On a beautiful 81-degree day in Southern California, they are ready for the start of the NBA Finals. For the defending NBA champion Lakers, the long layoff is over as they make their 26th trip to the finals. And they'll face the NBA's most valuable player, Allen Iverson, who comes off a spectacular 44-point game against Milwaukee on Sunday. Bill Jackson said he'd like to see Shaq open up with a 50-point burst here in game number one. Good look from Iverson, and Eric McKee knocks down the three. Kobe Bryant lost it. Here's Iverson. Well, it's a sloppy start by the Lakers. Sixers with a 5-2 lead. Those are the kind of baskets for the Lakers you don't want to give Iverson layups. Iverson. Yes, how good was that? I mean, Kobe Bryant right on him. He drives it and gets Kobe back on his heels, pulls back with the quick release jumper. That was beautiful. Shot clock down at two. Oh, what a spectacular finish. Here's Iverson. Yes. And Allen Iverson has picked it up. That's his fourth field goal. He has a point. Iverson again. This guy has such courage. You, you love the fact that he is fearless. He can miss 10 shots in a row and think is hot and want that 11th one. Iverson behind the back. And the Sixers are now down by three. Bryant lost it. McKee took it away for Kobe Bryant. Iverson. You can see Allen slowing down, trying to draw the foul on Fox. Lakers have led by as many as 13. Allen Iverson on fire has given the 76ers a one-point lead. Sets it up for the kid. Yes. Matt Geiger. How about Iverson? 19 points. McKee. Iverson. Yes. That was not pretty by Aaron McKee, but somehow he found Allen Iverson on that base. The pressure defense is really bothering the Lakers. Iverson for three. Yes! Allen Iverson tearing the Lakers apart in this first half. 30 points. Allen Iverson picking up the assists. Here's the same play again. This time they do a nice job defensively, and Iverson steps back and hits the jump shot. Make it 32 for Allen Iverson. Fourth foul. 
He is so fast out in the open court. Shaq had about five feet on him, and he can run as a big guy. He just turned on the burners and ran right past him. Iverson. Yes. Allen Iverson, 38 points, and the Sixers lead by 12. Iverson off the hesitation dribble. Sets it up for Tyrone Hill. from way downtown, <laughs> Allen Iverson with 41 points. The 76ers with the ball down by one, Iverson for three, yes! Allen Iverson has given the Sixers a 101-99 lead. Iverson, bothered by Lou. Iverson, yes! How about that? And Seven. steps over to Ron Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. The Sixers by four. 40 seconds left in overtime. Well, tonight, the Sixers come in, win this game on the road to steal the home court. Now, remember, they have three games, the middle games at home. All right, here's Lou with time running out on the Lakers. That will count the Philadelphia 76ers have defeated the Los Angeles Lakers in game one. You know, everybody already counted us out. And, you know, we're not going to act like we won it all right now because we still have some more business ahead of us. You know, we're just going to keep playing hard and whatever happens, happens. Since you have shocked everybody here, what do you take out of this game too? We know we can win, you know, and we knew we can win before we came here. You know, everybody, you know, counted us out, like I said. But, you know, they thought we were going to get swept, you know, and that's like a slap in the face, but everything that we worked for all year. And I'm just happy my teammates hung in there, and we got this one. Yo, what's up, OG Rob? This Toot the Barber from Philly. Um, giving you some input on a 2001 76ers NBA season and how this how the city was. Um, I was 26. I remember it vividly. Um, the Sixers was the cream of the crop of our four sports teams. But every team was good. But when the Sixers is good, the city is good. Um, I can remember everybody going crazy. Um, I think they won every award except the NBA championship. And to be quite honest, it didn't feel like an L for the city. It gave the city hope. Because when the Sixers is good, again, the city is good. But the city was on fire. It was lit. I mean, the parties was lit, restaurants was lit, everybody was happy. Um, I can remember uh, City Line Avenue, the Fridays on City Line Avenue, Allen Iverson used to hang out in there, um, and everybody would be out there and in the restaurant. It was like a big party. Um, it was a feeling that I never experienced before, even though in 1983, I was eight years old. And the Sixers won the world championship with Doc and Moses. But I was a kid, so I couldn't experience at experience that feeling as an adult. You know, um, but I might say that was a that was a special team and it gave the city a special feeling. And I might say it's one of the 
greatest sports teams from the city of Philadelphia, even though they didn't win because they went against a juggernaut. Shaq and Kobe with them pieces they had was hard to beat, but they gave us hope. They went in one game one. It was a party like we won the whole thing, you know, and there's a bunch of Lakers fans here in Philadelphia, but they even was partying because that team was just grimy. It represented the city and they had flash. It, it was it, like, I might say the 2001 Sixers might be the definition of what Philadelphia is and stand for. If you get what I'm saying. Um, but I'm not going to stay long. I just wanted you to know that the city was lit. 2001 was a crazy year in Philadelphia in a good way. And I think the Eagles even went to the NFC Championship and lost with a young Donovan McNabb and Andy Reid. Um, and it's, I think it was sparked off of how the Sixers was playing during the season. You know, it, it was like a ripple effect. But again, the 2001, the 2001 Philadelphia 76ers, I might say the definition of what the city stands for as far as their style of play. And I think is one of the top three greatest teams that come out of Philadelphia in all of sports, even though they didn't finish and win the championship. They had a hell of a run and they gave the city a hell of a run. Thanks, Rob. Keep doing your thing. I appreciate you for allowing me to leave a note. And again, keep doing your thing. I appreciate you. One love. Peace. First and foremost, shout out to Toot for that wonderful voice note. Um, like our buddy Rob, like our mutual friend Rob, who, who you heard early in the podcast. Toot is Philadelphia born, bred. He bleeds Philadelphia. And whether it's the Phillies, the Sixers, or the Eagles, he's a diehard Philly fan. Just him and Rob are synonymous with Philadelphia. The only difference between the two is Toot has your typical Philly beard, like a Aaron McKee, like a Teddy Pendergrass. You know, when you are Philly born and bred, especially a man, they say at the age of 10 you have a beard already. <laughs> Toot got that Philly beard. Rob can't grow the beard. Rob is like me. Philly Rob is like Harlem Rob. Can't grow a beard because naked on the sides. <laughs> but Rob does rock the goatee. But uh, much appreciated too. And um, keep doing what you're doing, baby. God bless your wife. God bless your children. God bless your mama. All right. On to the final segment of the uh, documentary. I played highlights before Toot's voice note. On, the two, on game one of the 2001 NBA Finals. But before we get there, I have a problem with documentary skirting over the Eastern Conference Final. That was a battle. That was not an easy win. All right. AI got hurt during the series and he missed the game. And they had to play a game seven. Now, game, game five, they barely won. 89-88. Game 6, they lost. AI had 46 points. And then in Game 7, AI put on a clinic. Put on a great, phenomenal Game 7. Scored 44 to lead the Sixers to winning Game 7 and having their first trip to the NBA Finals in 18 years. The documentary kind of skirted over. They made a huge deal 
with the semi-win over Toronto and Vince Carter, but they didn't mention the rivalry that had been going on between Ray Allen and Allen Iverson that led to an epic seven-game series. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I talked at the beginning of the podcast how I took my father to the 1996 Big East Championship game, and it was the Battle of the Rays. I mean, the Battle of the Allens, Ray Allen versus Allen Iverson. So, too, was the 2001 NBA Eastern Conference Finals. Did not like how the documentary skirted this, and I do not like how the documentary didn't have Ray Allen talk about that Eastern Conference Final. Maybe they did. Maybe it ended up on the cutting room floor. I don't know. But we needed more detail about those Eastern Conference Finals because Robin Toot could tell you they were sweating because I was sweating. Right? I was sweating. That series, they could have easily lost that series. AI got hurt, missed the game, and when he came back, he was brutal from the field. My microphone fell down there for a second. Hold on. Oh, I didn't. We didn't get cut off though. Good. Oh, let me fix my mic. Okay, now that my mic's fixed. That series could have gone either way. Either way. And Philly came up with a huge game seven. I know Matumbo was massive on the boards and defensively in that game seven. If I'm not mistaken, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Matumbo might have had 19 rebounds in that seventh game versus Milwaukee. Then we go on to the NBA Finals, the 2001 NBA Finals, which the Lakers hadn't lost a game, as the documentary mentioned. They had swept everybody. They swept their rivals, Sacramento. They swept, uh, what you call it? They swept uh, the Spurs. And if you were alive back in 2001, all the critics, everybody was saying that the real NBA Finals were the Spurs versus the Lakers. The Spurs, of course, with Tim Duncan and David Robinson, and the Lakers, of course, with Kobe and Shaq. Now, I knew the Sixers weren't beating the Lakers. I mean, I was rooting for them, but the Lakers had two of the greatest basketball players of my lifetime, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, in their primes against the Sixers that had one guy that could score, and Allen Iverson, and a bunch of role players, and... To be honest with you, the Lakers bench was better than the Sixers bench. This is where the Sixers missed a Tony Kukoc. And God bless the Kimbe Matumbo. But he, even though he's taller than Shaq, physically he was no match for Shaq. Shaq beat the hell out of him. But before we get to that, game one is my all-time favorite NBA game that I've ever seen of my lifetime. It was a tough battle. Uh, people forget Kobe Bryant was horrible in that game. Kobe only had like 15 points in that game. It was the AI show. AI brutalized Derek Fisher early on. And so Phil Jackson took out Derek Fisher and put Tyrone Lue on AI. And for a minute there, Tyrone Lue was in AI's draws. But in overtime, AI scored seven straight points, including the iconic... Made him fall, hit the jumper, and then step over Tyrone Lue as he went down the other court. That's iconic. That's iconic. It was beautiful, beautiful. I lost my mind when I saw it. It's all I talked about the next day at work with my fellow co-workers. Games 2 and Games 3, as the documentary mentioned, Sixers had a shot to win both games, and they 
down the stretch, they couldn't hit their shots. Game two, AI only had 23 points. The one game that he had that wasn't epic. If you look at AI, AI averaged 35.6 points per game, if I'm not mistaken, during that series. 48, 35, I think he had 30. In four of the five games, he had 35 points or more. In game two, he only scored 23, and he missed some brutal free throws down the stretch. Had he hit them, maybe they win game two, and maybe we have a seven-game series. I'm not saying they would have won this. Even if they go up two zip, I don't see them beating the Lakers. But they make the Lakers sweat, and maybe the Lakers start missing shots. Shaq, talk, Shaq was great, by the way, in this documentary as a commentator. As you know, he loves AI. Allen Iverson might be... Shaquille O'Neal's favorite basketball player of all time. He loved watching AI play basketball. He talked about AI. Oh, he always talked about AI. AI having the biggest heart. And I think Shaq once said that AI was one of the five greatest basketball players of all time. Shaq loved AI. Shaq held AI in more reverence than his own teammate Kobe Bryant when they played it together. Now, of course, since Kobe died, you know Shaq has set a different tune. But at this point in his career. Shaq loved AI more than he loved Kobe. And you have you had to have been alive back then to know that these are facts I'm talking about. I'm not making shit up. I don't make shit up here on the Legend of Sports and Music. Anyway, Kobe stepped up his game beginning with ga- uh, game two. And I remember, and Rob or, or Toot can remind me, it was either game two or game three that Kobe was guarding AI. And AI tried to shoot and Kobe smacked the shit out of that ball, blocked it, and I was like, oh, wow, maybe they, maybe they found something here. But no, they they kept Kobe off of AI for the most part so he wouldn't get into foul trouble, and it was either Derek Fisher or Tyrone Lue that would guard AI the rest of the series. AI tried as he could. They couldn't get any of, the, of games two or three, even though they were in it. They talked about... Robert Ory hitting a big three late in game three, a game in which uh, Shaq fouled out, and the Lakers held on to win that game. They were up by one when Ory hit one of his uh, iconic three-point NBA Finals shots. And then games four and five, it was all it was all Shaq. Shaq destroyed Matumbo in games four and five. He was just brutalizing them. And, of course, Kobe, whenever he had to go one-on-one, they couldn't guard him. The Sixers, like AI mentioned, were beaten down. Eric Snow was playing with a broken ankle. AI was playing with all types of injury. If you remember, during the playoffs, they showed a graphic where they put AI's body up on the screen and they showed all the different body parts that he injured throughout that MVP season. And I think it was over 90% of his body he had injured. Anyway, no excuses. The Lakers were the better team. The Lakers that year... Went 14-1 and one in the playoffs. The only loss, game one, to the... Let me make sure, 4-8-12. No, they went 15-1 and one during that run. Winning three straight, four straight, four straight, and then four, four out of five in the finals. 15-1, and one, which up until that point was the greatest record in the history of the NBA when it came to uh, a playoff record in a particular playoff series the Sixers won something like 13 and 12 let me make sure I got this one three and one four and three four and three that will make 11 and seven no 
They went 12 and 11. 4, 8, 11. They went 12 and 11. Sixers went 12 and 11. Sixers played a lot of games that, that playoffs. It's hard. They weren't blowing teams out. They were fighting. With the Pacers, it was a dog fight. With the Raptors, it was a dog fight. With the Bucks, it was a dog fight. And the first three games against the Lakers were a dog fight. The Lakers, because they were the better team, and they had two superstars compared to one win the series and win their second championship in a row. And that would be the last time the 76ers made the finals in my Philadelphia 76ers fandom. And I don't see them going to the finals anytime soon, but I'll leave that alone. I'm no longer a Sixers fan, so I'll leave that up to the Sixers fans like Toot and Rob to discuss. The documentary ended with both Larry Brown and Allen Iverson talking about how each of them made them better in their respective fields. Larry Brown mentioned that coaching Allen Iverson made him a better coach, and in 2004, he would win his only NBA championship, beating the Lakers with the greatest defensive team I've ever seen, the 2004 Detroit Pistons. Allen Iverson would have some great years after Larry Brown left, uh, specifically the 2004, 2005, and 2005, 2006 seasons. He was phenomenal. Had a great first two years with Denver, and then when he went to Detroit, he was done. He was done. And both men, of course, easy, easy, easily made the Basketball Hall of Fame. I will end the podcast with both their Hall of Fame speeches, which were both two of the greatest Hall of Fame speeches in the history of the Basketball Hall of Fame. AI ended the documentary talking about how he would take everything back if he could just have them win because he wanted to win for his teammates and his coaching staff and he started crying. He got real emotional and you can't help but feel bad uh, for AI. You could tell that he was hurt that he couldn't accomplish the dream that they had set out for before the 2001-2001 season. My all-time favorite Sixer season, more so than the 83 season, even though I was 15 when they won it all, and I was jumping up in joy when Doc and Moses dominated the Lakers, sweeping them in four straight. But the 2000-2001 team, you only had one Hall of Famer, one all-time great carrying a team. That 83 team, if you look at the Hall, you had a Hall of Famer in the coach, Billy Cunningham. You had Mo Cheeks, Hall of Famer. You had Dr. J, Moses Malone, Hall of Famers. You had Andrew Toney, one of the most unsung Philadelphia 76ers of all time. Rob and uh, two huge fans of Andrew Tony. If Andrew Tony hadn't got hurt and ended his career early, he too would have been a Hall of Famer. It's a great team. A great team. Bobby Jones, one of the greatest defensive forwards of all time. Loved that team. Loved that team. And I hold that team in high reverence. But that team was supposed to win. When the 82-83 season begun, after they got Moses Malone in that trade, they were the favorites to win it all, not the Lakers. 
2000-2001 Sixers, we didn't know what we were going to see. But as the year progressed, we saw they were a special team. And I'm going to say it again. I think the loss of Tony Kukoc was huge. And the injury to Theo Ratliff was huge. I don't do hypotheticals. But man, maybe if they would have sacrificed that season and saw how things played out and then brought Theo Ratliff back, maybe they could have went to another final two. Maybe they would have had a shot at championship. Theo Ratliff was rounding into a special ball player. As someone mentioned, one of the commentators mentioned on the documentary, he was never the same after that wrist injury, which is a damn shame. Because Theo Ratliff had the fire. He embodied a Philadelphia play, even if he wasn't from Philadelphia. He, in, he was part of that heart and soul. And you could tell that the core lineup through the first 50 games of Aaron, of Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, Allen Iverson, Tyrone Hill, and Alonzo Ratliff, that was a brotherhood there. They were in sync with Coach Brown. And Matumbo was huge. Matumbo was huge in the postseason. And, and Ratliff would have had the same type of success against Shaq that Matumbo had in the finals. So it's not like I'm saying that would have made a difference. I'm talking the future. The future. Because McKee, Snow, they, they let George Lynch go. Another part of that fabric of that team. George Lynch, that was the last year he played with the Sixers. They would have kept Lynch. They would have kept Ratliff with the Snow, McKee, and AI dynamic and Kukoc with veteran leadership and coming off the bench hitting threes. Maybe things would have turned out different. Maybe Larry Brown doesn't leave after the 2003 season. Anyway, I don't do hypotheticals. I'm just throwing it out there. 2001, Philadelphia 76ers were a special team even though they didn't win it all. For those that want to see this documentary, it's free on YouTube. Everything but the chip, the 2001 76ers. Um, I gave you my negatives, but overall I thought it was a great documentary. Even though I could have had more on the Milwaukee Bucks series, I wish we would have heard from Ray Allen and Vince Carter. But other than that, you had the two main components of that team talk throughout the entire documentary because the documentary was based on Larry Brown and Allen Iverson, two of the best to ever do it in their respective fields. In my opinion, Larry Brown is the greatest coach the Philadelphia 76ers ever had. And in my opinion, AI is no less than the fourth greatest 76er of all time if you put Will Chamberlain, Dr. J, and Moses Malone above him. He's no worse than the fourth greatest 76er of all time. Maybe fifth, if you want to put Charles Barkley above AI, I won't argue. But I'm going to end the podcast before playing the Hall of Fame speeches of both Larry Brown and Allen Iverson with my all-time Philadelphia 76ers team. This would be my 76ers team. My starting point guard would be, and I'm talking about since 1977, all right? I'm, so I'm not going to include Will Chamberlain because Chamberlain had long retired before I started following the 76ers in 1977. Since 1977, up until last year when I stopped following the Sixers, this is my Philadelphia 76ers all-time team between 77 
2022. Point guard Maurice Cheeks, who's in the Hall of Fame. Two guard AI. Small forward, of course, is Dr. J. The power forward is Charles Barkley. And the center is Moses Malone. Ladies and gentlemen, you could uh, email me, robertsilver57 at hotmail.com or uh, tag me on Twitter, post on Twitter, reach out to me on Twitter. Legends of S uh, 82332. And let me know what's your all time Philadelphia 76ers starting five. I want Toot and Rob to let me know as well. I'm going to leave you guys with the Hall of Fame speeches by the great Larry Brown and the great AI. Next episode will be the final uh, part of a five part series of Tupac Shakur and a legendary female soul singer in a duet remix remix episode in which I read poetry that I've written in between the songs I play by Tupac and the legendary female soul singer. Until next time, I want everybody out there to continue to be blessed and be a blessing. Here now to introduce Larry Brown is his sponsor, the legendary Dean Smith. Thank you. Uh, what a pleasure and a privilege it is for me to uh, present Larry Brown and for his induction into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. A uh, special time for me and certainly for Coach Brown and his family. Uh, they said three minutes and I'm gonna make it fast uh, because I do want to add though, you know, it was his, his first coaching job among, I could say among many others, could I say that? Uh, among many others uh, was when he had just finished uh, the Olympic team in 64 as a gold medal winner and he'd been playing for the AAU uh, Akron Goodyears and he is our captain in 1963 at North Carolina and I knew what a great coach he would be just how he handled basketball so I called him to come back and be our assistant coach and he stayed for two years and just meant so much to our North Carolina program. Over the many years, even today, he still has a part of that. When he was playing pro ball with Billy Cunningham playing pro ball and Doug Moe playing pro ball, in those days I could have them call prospects and believe me, it helped. And I thank them to this day. But uh, and then after two years, he went to play with the ABA. You heard them talk about New Orleans Bucks. He was ABA's most valuable player in their all-star game, but they were still working for us. But one thing I knew when he left, Larry Brown had chosen his vocation for life, and that was to coach. And believe me, he has coached. You may see his uh, common thread among all nine NBA teams, uh, seven teams, excuse me, and two college teams. You've seen, every time you see a Coach Brown team play, uh, first of all, they consistently win. But the main thing, they have great defense. And that takes teaching. And he works at it and teaches. And then in addition to that, you'll see it, he talks about unselfishness every day. Any pro out there who played for him, all his assistant coaches, I bet he every day talked about unselfish play. And gosh, do they play hard. They always play hard or they sit next to Larry. He is tough. He's a competitor. 
But, you know, he could go on. He's been NBA Coach of the Year. He's been uh, NCAA Coach of the Year. He's been NBA Best Dressed Coach of the Year. Maybe Chuck Daly might have gotten one of them. I didn't see your overalls on in Denver. They didn't have that on the thing. But uh, in the end, Larry Brown, no one loves the game more than Larry Brown. No one, I think, enjoys teaching it more. And certainly, very few, if any, could ever do it any better. And Larry it is special. And he'll be coaching LJ in, oh, a few more years. And LJ, listen to what Dad says. Thank you. Larry is escorted to the podium by his family. Brown, New York born, Tar Heel bred, in the great Carolina coaching tradition. You have earned a reputation as a competitor, a teacher, and an innovator, but your great legacy, despite all your success at the collegiate, international, and professional level, will be your love and respect for the game. And for that reason, by vote of the Honors Committee, and by the power vested in me and by, by the Board of Trustees, it is with personal pleasure that I take this opportunity to induct you as a coach into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame with all rights and privileges. Congratulations. All. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody talks about a, a journey. Um, obviously, by looking at these hats, you can see the journey that I've had. Uh, I'm saving this one for last. I didn't wear a Carolina hat because Coach presented me. And uh, anybody that's been part of the Carolina family knows what an unbelievable honor it is to play for Coach Smith and to represent that school. Um, Coach Cheney, you're right. Uh, all I do see are faces, um, and faces that have enabled me to be in this position. Uh, and it's remarkable being, being up here. Um, a lot of the speeches, they stole some of my thunder, but one thing I'm going to repeat. Um, when I was a little boy growing up, my brother and I um, used to go to Madison Square Garden on the weekends to watch the college All-Americans all play the Harlem Globetrotters. And it was probably the greatest day I ever spent in basketball. Um, my high school coach might not have liked it the next day, but um, it was a wonderful thrill. And 
to follow them and be in the same be on the same program with them is a wonderful feeling because they've done so much for our sport and our game and continue to do so. I have a lot of people to thank, but um, Bill Walton and Coach Cheney, I'm, I'm not going to approach your records. I wish I had your sunglasses, Coach. Um, you know, obviously, I've been a lot of places. Now, coach gave me my first opportunity to coach, but really before that, when I was a player, John McClendon offered me my first coaching job at Kentucky State University. And at that time, I thought I still could play, and I turned him down. But it was such an honor to be, be associated with him, and it was such a great thrill to have him recognize me and ask me to come with him, because this man has done so much for the game. Um, and I'm just proud that his, you know, his wife's here and she can see me up here because he really gave me a start. And I always appreciated that. Um, as a coach, I've been to a lot of places. My first start was North Carolina. I remember um, the first day of practice, I was a freshman coach. We had about 110 kids come out for the team. And I was perplexed because I didn't want to waste practice time, but I wanted to be fair to our players that were trying out. And I asked Coach Smith, how could I, you know, pick the team fairly? And he said, just do what you think's right. So I took him over to Woolen Gym, and I lined him up, and we ran wind sprints for two and a half hours without a ball. And uh, I got back the next day, and Coach said, you want me to tell you the good news first or the bad news? I said, well, tell me the good news. He said, you only have nine players left. <laughs> I said, well, what's the bad news? He said, well, five scholarship kids quit. <laughs> so that was my start. Um, and uh, it was an amazing experience. And being a freshman coach at a college taught me how to coach. And that was something I wish we'd get back to on the college level right now, because we develop coaches in that way. Coming in here, you know, in a few minutes, how do you get in the middle of the Globetrotters and then Magic and Larry? But coming in here, you know, for somebody like me that believes that you play the game the right way, you play unselfishly, you make your teammates better, and you respect the game, to come in here with Magic, um, it's just remarkable. I wish every kid out there would remember how he played, how unselfishly he played with such joy. You've made it easy for a lot of coaches, Magic, and I hope some of our young stars today in the NBA, which I think is the greatest league going, will understand that, the impact they have on young people. It's just remarkable. And for what you did and Larry and the people before you is something we all should appreciate. Thank you. You know, Case said it and Coach Olson said it, Everybody before me said it. You, you don't get up here unless there's a lot of people responsible. I, I've had the greatest family, and nobody knows what families sacrifice to allow us to do our job. And I'm very fortunate there. I, I have a big family now, and as you can see, I'm going to have a bigger one in the future, in the very near future. And I thank them so much. Um, for the coaches that I've been with, 
Um, nobody's had a better ex background than me. I played for Coach Smith. I played for Mr. Iba. I played for Frank McGuire. I played for John McClendon. I played for Alex Hannum. It goes on and on, and those people are the best. And for me to be in the same building with them is just remarkable in itself. Um, I've had opportunities to coach at the greatest places. You know, I, I went to UCLA. Um, J.D. Morgan hired me. Um, he passed away while I was there. And they called me the coach of UCLA, and I never felt comfortable with that. I only felt there was only one coach at UCLA. Um, and he was remarkable and helped me when I was there. But I'll never forget the first year I set all sorts of records at UCLA. We lost two games in a week. We lost three games in a row at Pauley. They hadn't lost a game at Pauley in I don't know how many years. We lost to SC at home, which hadn't happened. Um, we came in fourth in the Pac-10. They had never been out of the first, first or second place. And by some miracle, we ended up getting the, team together and things started to gel. The young players started to grow up and mature. And we ended up going to the final game and lost to Louisville in the final game. And I was feeling pretty proud of our group. And I was, remember I'm walking off the court and one benefactor at UCLA grabs me and he said, congratulations, Larry, you did it again. And I said, what do you, I thought he was gonna really congratulate me. He said, well, you're the first coach to ever lose a final game. <laughs> so, um, I had the opportunity, you know, to coach a lot of great players, and I've learned so much from so many of them. Some of them out here that are honored in this Hall of Fame, um, some of them that hopefully are watching on TV. For all of you that I've coached, you've given me so much, and I'm so appreciative of that, and it's been such an honor to coach you. For all my assistant coaches, and I've had many, you know, obviously, I'm so proud of having the opportunity to work with you because you've made the game better, you've made me better, and hopefully you've improved our sport. And for all the players that I'm coaching now, I just can't tell you how, how much I enjoy every day going to work. Um, I've had a remarkable group to work with. Um, Harvey, I don't, I'm not hoping this. I, I hope I can outlast you at Philadelphia. But, you know, it's fun being here with you. But so many good things have hap has happened to me because of this sport. Um, I hope that after what happened this summer, you know, with our team in Indianapolis, will make us all wake up and realize, one, the world is better because the game has improved. And that's terrific. Our league is better for, because of all the foreign players in our league. But I think we all got to get back to understanding this is the greatest team sport if it's played the right way. And I hope that everybody. I hope everybody understands that. Um, I want to, again, you know, guys, thank owners and ADs and administrators and coaches. Well, I can thank them all. You know, in college, I had wonderful ADs and administrators. In the NBA, I've had remarkable owners. Um, and I want to thank every one of you for giving me this opportunity. And for Mr. Stern, um, I'm living a dream. 
I'm one of 29 guys coaching this great game in the greatest league of all. And I thank you very much for that. Um, once again, um, I don't know how it gets any better than this. Uh, I've, I've said this to everybody. I've never gone to work a day in my life. I've been stealing for a long time. And I hope you continue to do that. But thanks so much for honoring me in this way and for all of my family and friends. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Welcoming Allen to the Hall of Fame are Larry Brown, Julius Irving, John Thompson. Ladies and gentlemen, Allen Iverson. y'all too. Wow. Um, first, I just, uh, I just want to thank, thank God, uh, for loving me and, um, and blessing me. Um, I think, uh, I, 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 um, I thank him for blessing me to be the man that I am and, um, have no regrets on being the guy that I am and the person that my family love and my friends love, my teammates love, my fans love. I want to thank uh, Mr. Colangelo um, in the Hall of Fame for um, honoring me in such a great way. It's truly a blessing and I'm humbled by it. Um, I want to thank uh, Coach Thompson. Uh -huh. Coach, Coach Thompson for saving my life. Um, for giving me uh, the opportunity. Um, I was recruited by every school in the country for football and basketball. And uh, the incident happened in high school and all that was taken away. No other teams, no other schools were recruiting me anymore. My mom went to Georgetown and begged him to give me a chance. And he did. And, And that's, uh, and that's crazy to think that you're the best football player in the world, which I did, 
And to, be, and to be sitting up here as a Hall of Famer in basketball, you tell me God ain't good. Um, after I left Georgetown, um, I was a high basketball player. I had a, <laughs> I had, I had talent, um, but once I started to listen to Larry Brown and take and take constructive criticism, um, I learned that. Uh, how much of a great, great, great coach that he is. Um, once, I, once I started to listen to him the way I was supposed to and, um, and um, was coached by him, that's when I became an MVP. That's when I became an all-star. That's when I made first team All-NBA. Once I got the message from him, and I followed his lead all the way. Uh, man, Dr. J. Um, uh, those shoes, some big shoes, literally. Um, but I had, I got to Philadelphia and man, those were some big shoes to fill with a, 10, a size 10 foot. Um, and uh, you know, he was always supportive of me um, throughout my career, always gave me words, wisdom, um, just a great, great man. And some old school dude too. <laughs> um, I remember coming home from school one day, and my beautiful mom said, "You going to basketball practice?" Like, that's why I ain't going to no basketball practice. Basketball is soft. You know what I mean? I play football. I'm a football player. I said, where you going? And I, you remember my, I cried and I screamed and kicked and clawed and I had to be dragged to practice. I got to practice and I saw all the guys that played on my football team there. So from that point, I played basketball. So I have my mom to thank for that. Um, My, uh, my dad, man, this is why, this is what you created, daddy. This is what you made. And I'm uh, so proud of you for uh, being that person that I looked up to and um, being a dad to take care of his kids, showing me the way, showing me about taking care of family. And um, when you passed that torch to me, uh, I was gracious to take it and run with it.
and I appreciate you, and I love you, man. Uh, my aunt, greatest aunt in the world, hands down. Um, I love you so much. Your perfect aunt. Man, my, my uncles, Stevie and Gregory. I really look up to y'all, man. And um, it means so much to me and taught me a lot. Steve, you taught me so much about family. I know Nene is up there looking down on me, and I just hope she's proud of me. Uh, man, um, my babies, my oldest, Tiara, Honey Boo Boo, um, AKA, Daddy send me some money. Um, <laughs> My son, Allen Iverson, second, Deuce. I love you, I'm proud of you. Uh, Isaiah, um, Iverson, uh, man, man so smart, we call him the professor. Um, I, I need him um, around the house when something needs to be done or fixed. Um, his mom will say, Go ask Isaiah. He'll show you how to do it. <laughs> and uh, you're smart, man, and I'm, I'm proud of you. And, and uh, follow your dreams and keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, um, uh, Messiah. AKA Boo, Booby Boo, I love you. You're so great, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much, and you make me so happy. Dream. Hi. Hey, Jimmy. Fine? Okay. Uh, Yubby Yub. I love her so much. Um, ever since she was born, she got to sleep with daddy. Got her own room and her own bed, but got to sleep with daddy. Um, but I thank y'all for being my crutch in my career. You know what I mean? When I had hard losses, didn't play well, you know, uh, the media, um, treating me like they did throughout my career. Uh, I always came home and forgot about all of that once I saw y'all. So thanks for being my crutch, and uh, I love y'all so much. I have to, I have to, um, I have to, I have to thank this man because Without his vision, I promise you, there wouldn't be no Hall of Fame Allen Iverson standing at this podium if it wasn't for this guy. He gave me the vision, man. And, um, you know, you want to be fast like Isaiah, and you want to shoot like Bird, you know, rebound like Barkley, pass like Magic, be dominant like Shaq. But man, I wanted to be like Mike. 
You know what I mean? Um, I remember the first time I played against him. And um, I, w I walked out on the court and I, I looked at him and for the first time in my life, a human being didn't look real to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if y'all watch the Chappelle show, but he, he talk about a certain incident where he seen somebody seeing Rick James. And like, I literally seen his aura. Like, like he, it looked like he was, it looked like he was glowing. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm saying to myself, like, man, that's Mike. And I'm looking at him. I can't stop looking at him. Like, I'm looking at his shoes and I'm like, man, he got on the Jordans. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was, it was Mike. It was my idol, it was my hero. And uh, I remember just hating the Knicks so much and the bad boys for beating them up the way they did. I used to watch him and sit on my mom's dresser and she used to tell me, boy, if you don't get back from that TV before you go blind, you better. Like, I wanted to be that close to him just watching him. Man, my sister, Brandy, I love you, the greatest. Um, I love you for all the times daddy gave you $100 and you would give me 95 of it. Um, I love you and I thank you for everything you did for your big brother. I appreciate you, I love you. Um, for those that, that's no longer here with me, smiling down on me, my nana, Ra, Troop, Jim, Uncle Ronald, Teresa, Huddy Combs, Anthony Wolf Jones, um, I hope you're proud of me. My, my friends, X, Thriller, I love you guys. My man, Kai. It's one, I love y'all, man. Um, Dobby, Gerard, Damon, Day Day, Larry, Jughead. <laughs> What's up, Jug? <laughs> um, LeBron and his family, Rich, Mav, Randy, Chris Paul and his family, Monty Williams and his family, Stanky Wanky out there. Um, man, uh, Abe, Kelly Rogers, Marley G, Stum, Man Thompson. We're gonna do a lot of laughing tonight, Jack. Big Bro Kev in Philly. My main man, Reggie, love you. 10-4. Leon Rose, super agent. Call him Arliss. Um, Gary Moore, man. Where can I begin? I mean, I, I'll start from eight years old. I love you, bro. And I thank you for the guidance throughout my career and all the help that you've done. Thank you for when I get in trouble in school for coming to make sure I got detention instead of getting suspended. Um, for teaching me uh, in sports, if it's me or you, 
it's me. Uh, I love you, man. Um, I can't thank you enough. Um, Boo Williams, man. We won the uh, Nationals, 17 years old. Damn, I'm still waiting on the shoes that you promised us. <laughs> and our ring. Maybe I'll get it one day. Wanda Rail, thank you for everything. Pee Wee, hold your head. Be strong, Bobby Mays. Uh, Mace, Cameron, Jim Jones, Fag, Fab. Um, I want to thank, I want to thank uh, Biggie Smalls, Red Man, Jada Kiss, Tupac, and Michael Jackson for being my theme music throughout my career. <laughs> Uh, not too much longer. Um, Aberdeen Raiders, uh, I became a true athlete playing for those guys. Bethel High School, Mike Bailey. Uh, Mike Bailey was the first to teach me how to play basketball, my high school coach. I love you. I love your family. Thank you for everything that you've done for me. Tony Rutland, my partner in crime in high school, um, my teammates uh, that I played with in school, man, my Georgetown family. Y'all know the great centers already, but I love those guys, Ken Bay, Patrick, um, Lonzo, Tough act to follow, buddy. Um, I love Ms. Michael so much. Miss Finley, if you're watching right now, I love y'all. Bubakar, Al, George Butler, Urban Church, Yaya, Brendan Gaughan, Othella Harrington, John Jocks, Kevin Millen, Eric Miles, Jerry Nichols, James Reed, Don Reed, Jahadi White. Love you, bro. Jerome Williams. I love you, bro, for everything you've done for me. Damon Jackson, Godwin Owenji, Victor Page, James Reed, Joe Tuomo, and Dean Berry. Maybe I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for Dean Berry teaching me the crossover. Um, a walk-on. Man didn't even have his name on the back of his jersey. But at practices, he used to hit me with it so much that I just put my pride aside and said, okay, you got to teach me that move. <laughs> and I stayed out to practice with him every day to learn that move. And all these years later, Allen Iverson is known for the crossover. I have to, I have to thank Reebok, man. Man, gotta, gotta thank Reebok. <laughs> A lifetime contract? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Man, um, Paul Fireman, Tom Shine, Todd Krinsky, B. Lee, Q, Q Gaskins, man. My man, my friend. Um, the NBA, the 
uh, the MBA, the MBPA, um, David Stern, Adam Silver, Billy Hunter, Chris Chan. Oh my God, I love you so much. Thanks for all the support. Leah Wilcox. Pat Croce. The only thing that I can say when I think about him is love and belief. He believed in me. He believed that I could be that guy to carry a franchise on my shoulders. It was hard. I had my ups and downs. But obviously, I, I pulled it off. Um, I love you, Pat. Billy King, Al Lumpkin, love you, Lump. Jim, Laura, Mike Preston, Lenny, Mark Zumar, the best commentator. The world's best commentator, hands down. I'm making that a point, because I'm, uh, I want to see him on the big networks doing it too. <laughs> Scott Rigo, Dr. McPhillamy for keeping me and uh, keeping me healthy, well, almost, throughout my, throughout my career. Karen, Francone, I love you. Kev, Mike Goins, I love y'all. Um, to the media, the love-hate relationship that made me stronger. I want to thank Phil Jasner. I know he's looking down at me. We went through our wars, but I love you. And I know you respected me as a man. Stephen A. Smith. My brother. He was there with me throughout it all. And um, you're always going to be my big brother. I always love you, bro. Um, you don't supposed to uh, not talk about when I do make mistakes, that's your job, even though I am your little brother. Um, <laughs> but um, you always kept it 1,000 with me. You always was honest and um, told it like I needed to hear it. And I love and respect you for that. Uh, thank you, D-Lionel. The fans, the fans worldwide in China. Um, I love my fans in China. They love me so much. And um, I, I, I love them for um, respecting my grind. And um, I go to China every year, and I'll continue to uh, for the rest of my life. The Philly fans. about the only relationship that I feel a, a player has with 
a group of fans is uh, probably Michael Jordan and his fans in Chicago. But my relationship with the fans in Philadelphia is like no other. Thank you. And thank y'all for the support over the years. Y'all let me grow. Y'all let me make my mistakes. Never jumped off the bandwagon. Continue to support me like true fans are supposed to. 76 of teammates. Doug Overton, love you. Clarence Witherspoon, Lucius Harris, Matt Geiger, Roger Bell, Dikembe, George Lynch, I love you. Todd McCullough, Kevin Ollie, turned out to be a great coach. Why do point guards always end up being coaches? That's what they, they just used to telling everybody what to do. Um, Nazi Muhammad, Jerry Stackhouse, Derek Coleman, love you. Mark Davis, Don McLean, Sam Dellenberg, Jermaine Jones, Tyrone Hill, Vernon Maxwell, my, uh, my protector when he uh, played for us. You know he was always willing to fight. <laughs> Theo Ratliff. Larry Hughes, I love you, my brother. Um, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow. My brothers, man. Definitely my brothers from another mother. I'm so proud of the men that they've turned out to be, the fathers that they are, the family men that they are. Have a lot of respect for y'all, and I appreciate you, definitely. The Denver Nuggets, the fans, George Carl, Stan Kroenke, Josh Kroenke, Kenya Martin, Marcus Camby, Chucky Atkins, Melo, I love you. J.R. Smith, DJ, Gerg, Rex Chapman, Steve Hess. Um, my competition, man. Um, I remember my first game um, that I was, a man literally destroyed me. Um, and I, haven't, I hadn't been killed like that before in my career, in my lifetime, basically. And um, I remember Mo Cheeks telling me after the game, I sat in the locker room and I was crying. And Mo Cheeks said, don't worry about it, AI. One day you'll get somebody 36, nine and nine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, I can remember I love Lou Williams. And I always think about uh, one day at practice, I had scored like 10 in a row on him. And uh, Mo Cheeks said, uh, and Lou was about to cry. And Mo Cheek said, man, hold your head up. Don't cry. He do that to everybody. <laughs> um, man, I, I, I can't leave without bringing up uh, Shaq. I love him so much as a person. Um, obviously the most dominant big man we've ever seen, ever. Man, uh, Kobe. Um, true competitor. Um, I know that he's retired now. He's going to go on to do even greater things. He's a great man, and um, I love him and I respect him, but he brought everything out of me on the basketball court, and I appreciate him for that.
Saran Lou. Uh, I remember, I remember after, after that, I remember after that series, um, he had got, he went to Washington and uh, got paid. Um, so somebody was at the free throw line and I said, uh, look man, if you don't stop following me like that, we're gonna be fighting out here. And he was, you know, whatever, whatever. And I said, um, only reason you got that little five million a year is for running around after me. And the man looked at me and said what I would have said. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and we've been like this ever since. Um, the ones that, 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 that stuck by me throughout my journey, um, I love y'all and I, I love the fact that now y'all can walk around and stick y'all chest out and say, y'all Hall of Famers. Um, and all the barbershop talk that my family and all the arguments my friends have with people in the barbershop and the hair salon, you know, now you can say, um, well, look, my man is solidified. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they'll, and, 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 they'll, and, they'll, and they'll come back with, well, my man will be a Hall of Famer one day. Well, we'll have that conversation then when, when he get enshrined. And I'm gonna try to get through this part right here. I know it's gonna be kind of difficult for me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with, uh, on this note because it's one of those last but not least thing. Um, my number one person in the world, um, hands down. Um, Tawana Iverson. <laughs> 24 years, ups, downs, but real love. Um, I can't thank you enough for all you've done for me. Not just my career, yeah, obviously you, you enabled me to go to work and you took care of home. But for loving me the way you do and caring about what type of person I am and what type of person that I need to be the set example for our babies. Just the best of me. I love you so much. Um, looking forward to spending two more decades with you. Um, and I want you to be proud of yourself. And I want you to walk around and understand that you are a Hall of Famer. I just want to say thank y'all and for all the people, every one of you, um, that supported me throughout this tough journey. I really love y'all for that because you didn't have to support me. And for all of the men and women that advised me on certain things and helped me, I love y'all, and I want to thank 
the guys that are not my friends anymore. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm 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 glad that you blew you blew your cover for me to recognize that you wasn't any good to my family or me. And um, I appreciate y'all for that. So if I make any more new friends, I know the signs. Thank you. Thank you.